safer safe. Intercourse. Condoms. Sexually transmitted infection. HIV. Sexual health. Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the podcast. My name's Tom and this is the Sydney Sexual Health Centre podcast where we talk about all things related to sexual health. In today's podcast, we'll be taking a closer look at sexual health education in schools. Sexuality education in schools is often seen as the silver bullet that will ensure that everybody has access to quality sexual health information. While there is a lot of great work being done in schools, it can also be a contested space with vocal opponents. To discuss the successes, challenges, and more importantly, the evidence, I have travelled out to Family Planning New South Wales Newington Clinic to speak with Eliza Bashir. It's really important what we say to put the comprehensive in sexuality or sex education and ensure that it's holistic, inclusive and incredibly robust to meet all the needs of young people in our communities. And Cecilia Roth. Family members themselves don't feel comfortable talking about this. They may not have had opportunities to learn about this. They may not have had opportunities to start feeling comfortable about those conversations. So welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Can you tell me a bit about yourself and what interested you in working in sexual health? Okay, well, Tom, I'm an education person, so my training, I trained up as a primary school teacher and did lots of work with schools in primary and then secondary schools, did lots of work with young people, particularly young people at risk of dropping out of school or who had dropped out of school. So often those young people have got multiple things going on in their lives. Often there are health issues involved there and sexual health is often one of them. So I think my sort of theme that I've always done is it's all about the more information people have the better off they're going to be. So I think working as an educator you really want to look at not just the content that they're learning and the maths but you know the, the whole person. So looking at sexual health has always been something that I've been really interested in and something that I think is part of that mix of providing you know a great education for young people and you know for any people really. So that's one of the things that, that led me here to working with teachers, with schools, with people working with young people outside of schools and just working sort of more generally across community services. Awesome. I had a bit of a different journey and start where I sort of fell into sexual health education and health promotion. So I have a health promotion and public health background and and some experience working with communities, developing and implementing health promotion projects that focus on sexual and reproductive health. And through that, a lot of it was to do with providing direct community education to young people, which was my focus. And that was around a lot of different settings. So schools, community services, juvenile justice services, And more recently, I've actually moved into a policy role where it's a lot more about advocating at a higher level for inclusion of comprehensive sexuality education and sexual health education within curriculum so that our community members are able to experience the policy benefits. So we know that for supportive environments, we need to have policy solutions to create those supportive environments. So yeah, I fell into sexual health and have absolutely loved it ever since. Oh, fantastic. So you mentioned there comprehensive sexuality education, sometimes called CSE for sure. So this is something that Family Planning New South Wales advocates to be taught in schools both here in Australia and in the international work that they do as well. So what is CSE and what does the research tell us about its effectiveness? 
So I guess on a high level basis, comprehensive sexuality is an evidence-based, age-appropriate and culturally relevant approach to teaching all things about sexuality and relationships. So it can be known by quite a few different names or phrases. So here in Australia, sometimes people refer to it as sex ed or sex education, could be sexuality and relationships education, but internationally it's sort of best known and recognised as best practice as comprehensive sexuality education. So what it is, it includes a really broad and diverse range of topics that range from the human body development and autonomy, puberty and body image, going through to relationships and consent, all things sexual health and sexual behaviour, gender and sexual diversity, health literacy, decision making, fertility, pregnancy, pregnancy options and contraception. So really anything that falls under the broader spectrum of sexuality or the banner of sexuality is what we talk about comprehensive sexuality education as. Yeah, so one of the reasons we call it comprehensive is because it's not just learning about, you know, making babies or avoiding STIs. It's really looking at the whole person. So you're looking at all of that content, definitely getting people to understand how their bodies work. But you're also looking at the social and emotional aspects of that. You're looking at who's your audience and making sure that it's appropriate to age, making sure it's inclusive. So we're looking at including all sorts of bodies and gender and types of relationships and also looking at the cultural aspects because tapping into that is what's going to then make things relevant to the learners and make them really be able to understand it and see how they're going to be able to use this stuff when they're you know off at the pub on a Friday night (laughs) all of those sorts of things we really want to make it something that's relatable for the learners so taking that comprehensive approach the evidence tells us it's much more likely that they're actually going to learn and remember that stuff rather than giving someone a lecture at the front of the room and hoping for the best so it's about how you teach it and taking that really holistic approach to what you teach. And we know as well that comprehensive sexuality education or CSE is really important in the younger years, in school-aged people, teenagers and early adults as well. But it's something that should be continually built on throughout the lifetime as a lifelong process of education and learning. So it's something I internationally is focused more on young people, which is incredibly essential and important. But once you turn 18, it shouldn't stop there. CSE and education is a lifelong learning process and should continue throughout the life course, really. There are many benefits of evidence-based comprehensive sexuality education. From a health perspective, it has been shown to lead to lower rates of STI transmission, so sexually transmissible infections, lower rates of unintended pregnancy, increased rates of contraceptive use, and increased engagement in health-protective behaviours such as condom use, discussions and facilitation around consent, and equitable gender norms on a larger scale as well. Yeah, one of the things that editors sometimes worry about is how much do I say, you know, how much information is going to be appropriate here. And sometimes people in the community and educators also can be fearful that, you know, if I talk about this stuff too much, they're all going to want to go out there and do it. And I think what we need to be mindful of is that the evidence actually tells us that the opposite happens. The more information that young people in particular have, the more likely they are to just hold off a little bit longer before they become sexually active. Statistically, they're more likely to start being sexually active a little bit later on. And when they are, 
they will do that, you know, with better decision making with some of those things that Eliza's just mentioned. So really, it's the, the case is that the more information they have, the better. In school, for example, might be one of the only opportunities they have to talk about these things. They may not have other people in their lives where they can have those conversations. So even though they might not be in a relationship when they're at school, for example, it's going to put them in good stead for later on in their lives as they grow and have different priorities. All of that is going to be a really good basis for them to, to learn about this stuff. Yeah. So in that case, I guess abstinence-based education or um, or just not giving pe- young people education at all that leads to worse outcomes then? Definitely. Comprehensive sexuality education does not support abstinence-based education and what the research shows is that's ineffective and doesn't work. And what we hear directly from young people as well is they want the information, they want the education, they want to build their own skills around these topics so that they can have really healthy, productive lives, including their sexual health and their sexuality as well. That's it. If anything, a lack of information actually makes them more vulnerable to some of those things. So having those opportunities to have that information and knowing where to go to get more information or to access health services, all of those is actually going to be protective in terms of their physical health, but also socially and in terms of mental health and all of that, Mm -hmm. the other aspects of health that we need to think about. Yeah, a big part of CSE is around health literacy and decision making. So it relates even beyond the sexuality scope as It helps young people and people to navigate health systems, to make decisions relating to wider aspects of health as well. So incredibly important. So we know that CSE can be a bit of a taboo issue, but also can be a really politicised issue, which may have led to some of the inconsistencies of delivery within schools and also across the country. So some people think that delivering this type of education may lead to young people wanting to engage in sex at an earlier age to having increased engagement in risky sexual behaviours. But we know the evidence says this is completely not true. It's actually the opposite. And a lot of the politicalisation of this issue is also saying that this should be education that's delivered at home and not within schools. But we've actually had a recent study released this year that says over 80% of parents are actually supportive of students learning about this type of education particularly about gender and sexuality diversity within schools and are incredibly supportive and encouraging of students learning this education within schools, having that collaborative approach between schools and then parents who can continue these conversations out of the school setting is a really big benefit of CSE. That's right. And when we provide information to schools or or provide education to teachers, we definitely advocate that they do make information available to families as well so that families can continue those conversations. But I think we need to be really aware that sometimes family members themselves don't feel comfortable talking about this. They may not have had opportunities to learn about this. They may not have had opportunities to start feeling comfortable about those conversations or knowing what to talk about at what age group. So these are some of the common concerns that we have with parents. And I think that is one of the reasons as well why parents are generally very supportive about having sexuality education at school and very happy for the the professionals to do that as part of health education, but then providing those opportunities for conversations to continue and for parents to respond to that conversation that might come up in the car or, you know, at the supermarket or whatever's happening, giving that Airtime, I think, is important as part of the education and the advocacy that we do. So we certainly are not taking anything away from parents. It's actually about working together and working with families and community leaders to really support the whole process.
So can you tell me a little bit more about the advocacy work family planning does around comprehensive sexuality education? Me, you. <laughs> There's um, so much to talk about. I know. So we advocate, I guess, for comprehensive sexuality education through many different means and ways. It can be through our delivery of direct services to the communities we work with, to health professionals we work with, as well as in relevant government submissions as well. So in the past 12 months, we've written over 35 submissions, which all focus around or include elements of comprehensive sexuality education and recommendations on how we can improve the experiences of young people who receive that education both here in New South Wales and then wider across the country as well. Some examples of this are that we've engaged in the review of the national curriculum as well as the review of the New South Wales curriculum. We've written and had many meetings with government ministers and written in response to inquiries around education, around adult literacy and its importance, advocating for robust and comprehensive inclusion of this education both within the national curriculum and then more on a practical level within the New South Wales syllabus and at a community level as well. So one thing we've done is really focused on both in-school CSE, but also recognise that not all young people have access to formal education systems. So have really looked to improve accessibility to CSE in those out-of-school settings, so more of those community settings. So that's looking at training up our youth workers, our disability support workers, our professionals who work with young people and community members to be equipped to facilitate these conversations with the people they work with and then to inform them, provide them with the opportunities to access this information and education as well. And I think one of the key messages with all of those education programs that we do working with professionals, so whether we're working with doctors, nurses and midwives or whether we're working with teachers or disability workers, a lot of it is around having an understanding around the importance of this and and we take a rights-based approach and also looking at always focusing on advocating for the rights of those clients or those students that they're working with and their right to access this information and access health services. So it's about not just us advocating as an organisation, but people who come to our education programs, for example, becoming advocates for their students and clients in terms of being able to to learn about this information and access services. So that's very much part of the advocacy that we do. And another element of it as well is looking at just normalising these conversations, having it recognised as essential and important education rather than sort of an add-on or something we touch on here and there, but really normalising the conversations, destigmatizing them and having them as accessible conversations within our communities. That's right. So it's just, you know, one of those aspects of health that we talk about. It's a health issue. It's not about moral taboos. It's about making it a positive factual conversation that you have and again looking at all of those things that we talked about with CSE before making things inclusive and holistic so that everyone can see it as relevant so you know so your students with disabilities particularly kids with intellectual disabilities and autism that they have ways of learning about this as well that people don't think oh it's not relevant to them they're not going to have relationships you know everyone has a right to have this information you may need to use some different resources that work better for them or to have those conversations in a slightly different way, but it's around making sure everyone's got access to that information. Yeah, that's a really important point. Everyone's got a right to access this information. Everyone has a right to have relationships and to express their sexuality. So a fundamental aspect is accessibility to this education. 
family planning advocates at multiple levels within government, but also the international sector. So a lot of our recent inquiries have gone to our state government. Anything relating to our national curriculum goes to both ACARA and also our federal government ministers. And we've also recently maybe not so recently actually we've moved more into the international sector really advocating for CSC as a global priority and a global issue so funnily enough we're recording this actually we've attended this week the commission on population development which is where sexual and reproductive health and rights issues are really discussed and prioritized within a sustainable development approach on a global scale and a big part of our messaging in this CPD has been around the importance importance of comprehensive sexuality for young people and also particularly for women in terms of empowerment, ongoing engagement within education systems and health systems as well. So not only is our CSE advocacy and work reflected here domestically, but it's really important and really a key focal point in the international sector as well. Our international team also directly deliver CSE programs to communities and to health and education professionals in many countries in the Pacific, and that's through multiple means. So it can either be within education systems and school systems, outside of in their out-of-school CSE programs, and also through sport programs as well. So a lot of our domestic work is reflected in our international work, and then our advocacy messaging really prioritise CSE on that national and international scale. In each country that we're working with are often in different places. So, for example, in some of the Pacific countries where we're working, they do have school curriculum where there's content in there. So we are potentially working with them or we have been working with them to review those things and, and look at is it following best practice, is it comprehensive, and we may make recommendations, for example, to maybe introduce certain parts of content that might be missing from there or to introduce some concepts a little bit earlier or continue them later on. So really looking at the nitty gritty of what's happening there so that schools can then go out and do a good job. So in some countries, for example, there might be parts of it in the science curriculum and then parts of it in the health curriculum, for example. So it's about being able to identify that, bring it together so that they can deliver it using these best practice principles that we've talked about. Some countries may not be quite there, they might not have very much content in their syllabuses. So again, it's around supporting them to make some recommendations based on best practice and helping them to develop those materials and then working with ministries of education and ministries of health, for example, to really start implementing great programs in those countries. And we know in the international space, comprehensive sexuality education is recognised globally as the best practice approach to delivering this. And that's catching on here in Australia, but it's sort of known, like we were saying before, by different terms. Young people often report having had limited sexuality education in schools, or that when this is taught, it can focus exclusively on heterosexual sex for the purpose of reproduction without acknowledging the variety of sexual practices that exist. So we've touched on this already, but how does CSE incorporate diverse genders and sexualities? As, as we've mentioned before, having that holistic approach is really a key aspect of having that comprehensive sexuality education. So being inclusive of different bodies, genders and sexual preferences is one of the really key parts of that so in the language that people use in the resources that educators use you know even in examples and case studies that you bring in to make sure that it's not heterocentric for example so that's 
going to part of what the evidence is telling us. That's going to make it more likely that all people are going to be able to find this relevant and find it useful. So it is something that educators need to be very mindful of and when they're looking at a resource to ask those sorts of questions and think about okay is this actually going to be something that's inclusive for everyone. So we do know from the research that often those aspects have not been included in the past and it's something that in our education programs we're very mindful of trying to make sure that educators are thinking about that when they're planning and when they're delivering programs. Yeah, so Family Planning back in 2018 conducted a student needs assessment with over 1,600 student participants, which was excellent. And what they told us is that they wanted more information on relationships, reproductive health, consent, sexual decision making, as well as sexual harassment, and most importantly, sexual and gender diversity, as well as gender identity. So it's an area where students have indicated that the information they received at school was insufficient for the LGBTIQA community. And this is also reflected in some of the comments we received from them. So I'll just read them out now. One female who was 18 years old responded that she'd like more information for LGBT plus people. My teacher couldn't even tell us how to have safe lesbian sex. Another student said it was really important to teach tolerance as most people who don't identify with the sex assigned to them at birth are very cruelly taunted by their peers who don't understand them. I had to learn about my sexuality from the internet. Before then, I felt like I was broken and something was wrong with me. So we know that it's incredibly important that the education we deliver must be inclusive and accessible for all people and all different types of relationships. And in our CSE education programs and teacher training, as Cecilia was talking about before, we really focus on inclusivity, acceptance and non-heteronormative approaches to teaching about relationships. That's right, and we provide practical tips that educators can use. So thinking about the language that they use around bodies, for example, a lot of the time you can use gender neutral terms or just saying most bodies can make a difference in terms of being inclusive when you're talking about bodies, as an example. When you're talking about relationships, not assuming that every relationship is going to be heterosexual or use examples where the names in the case study may not be obviously male or female so then you're really talking about the skills of communication and it takes the focus away from gender and more around how anybody can talk about what they want to get out of their relationship and what's important to anybody. So those sorts of things around language can become things that teachers may not be as mindful of until you have that conversation and then they're like oh of course that makes perfect sense. So including just a range of examples looking at the resources that you use, the images that you use, videos, making sure that there's a range of different sorts of relationships and gender that are depicted there. And that's relevant to cultural diversity as well, so that everyone in the room can relate and people can see something that's going to be relevant to everyone in that community. I think the biggest learning I've had is never ever to make assumptions as well and to always ask people that you're delivering the education to what's important to them and what they'd like out of this and that's something that family planning does really well in working with young people particularly but as well as the other communities they work with in co-designing education products and programs asking and engaging with the community members on terms of what they want to receive out of the education, how they want to receive it, the different topics, and then reflecting that back in the education programs we do. So incredibly important not to make assumptions, but to work with the communities and to ask questions as well. You've facilitated sexual health workshops in schools. Can you tell me how they're received by young people? 
Yeah, so as a previous health promotion officer, a large part of my role was delivering community education sessions, which also are what we refer to as our sexual health education sessions, both in schools and in community settings as well. And often it was received incredibly positively. All our sessions are very evidence-based, they're really engaging, so quite activity-based, and it would always generate a lot of excitement from students and also from teachers who can then experience and observe how this education can be taught positively from a sex-positive approach, but also engaging, so rather than that lecture style, which can be useful to some, but quite often a lot of young people don't want to be lectured to at the front of the classroom. So we do a lot of games and activities, which is great. And we also adapt all of our education to the needs of our classroom and to the needs of our audience. So for example, in years 10, 11 and 12, we might develop or implement our Life Ready program, which focuses more on the topics around consent, contraception and sexual health. Well, for our younger age groups, years seven to eight, we might talk about more puberty, those earlier stages of consent, decision-making and friendships as well. So it is great. We see a lot of engagement and a lot of interest and often have a lot of comments saying, this is the first time I've been able to speak openly about it. And a lot of our surveys, which we conduct to evaluate afterwards, show a lot of new learnings as well, which is excellent. Great. And how do teachers respond to these sessions? Teachers respond really positively as well. So we have a few different approaches of delivering this education. We can deliver directly to students and our teachers will observe us or we can co-deliver with teachers to build their skills and their capacity to then deliver it in a sustainable approach in an ongoing manner. We often are contacted by teachers who may not feel they have the confidence required or the skill required to deliver the education to their students. So we're seen as a good support mechanism to ensure that their students can receive this education. And a lot of teachers as well will then follow up using our resources in the classrooms afterwards. They might buy a few products from our shop, such as our sexual health education and contraception toolkits to use in the classroom setting at a later date. Teachers can see it being delivered in a positive light, improve their confidence for them to be able to deliver it as well, and then have a really successful ongoing relationship with their students in terms of delivering this type of education. And that's reflected in the sessions that we do just with teachers as well. So we we model those activities. We get the teachers up and playing the games. If it's a webinar, we'll have them doing things on screen so that we can model how those activities can be delivered, how to make them engaging, and then talk about how they're incorporating all those principles of comprehensive sexuality education into those activities. So it might be around the language they use, the discussions that they have afterwards. So it's very much making it as practical practical as possible so that those teachers feel really confident at the end of those sessions to be able to use a resource or use an activity the next day with their students. And sometimes they do come back to us afterwards and say, oh, I did that one and it went really well, or I changed a little bit because of this and this is how students responded. So it's very much about getting that engagement going so that everyone feels that they can get involved and and feel a bit more relaxed and comfortable. So responding to some of that feedback that we've had from students where sometimes they feel like the teachers are not providing information that's current or the teachers don't look confident so that it all is very awkward. So we want to take that away and get teachers feeling really comfortable and confident in delivering this so that the students then get the benefit of really positive sessions. As you mentioned there, sometimes teachers or people conducting these sessions can be a bit awkward. It can be a sensitive subject for some groups of people. So how do you accommodate different religious or cultural beliefs into your sessions? 
Yeah, so we do know that sexual health and CSC can be a bit of a taboo subject for some. Some families may discuss it very openly and robustly in the home environment, and some families may not discuss it at all for potential cultural or religious reasons. But our health promotion team really specialise in tailoring this type of education to the needs of the audience. So it's very respectful. It works with the audience or with our community members to understand potentially their needs in developing this and then delivering it with them. So wherever possible, we would consult with those communities before delivering any education there. So particularly if you're working with Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander communities, very important to build those relationships beforehand, find out from them what's appropriate, who are appropriate people to include in the delivery of the session, looking at content and what they think are priorities for the communities that we're providing education to, and working with culturally and linguistically diverse communities as well. As Eliza was saying before, we certainly can't make any assumptions around all people of this particular community or religious group are going to have these particular views. So it's very much about talking to people and finding out about what are their priorities, what are maybe some of the myths that they're finding that we can address in the training, what are some of the resources that they're using or are there particular resources that they feel like they don't have anything they can use and we can maybe make some recommendations and we have had a number of projects where we've worked with communities to develop resources which might be websites or booklets, fact sheets, all sorts of different things, translating things into different languages. We've got lots of practical tools that can be used in those communities just to make that information available to everyone and giving people some practical tips around how they can make the information available but still remain respectful. And part of it as well, I think, is never assuming people's knowledge levels and prior knowledge level as well, always ensuring that we're coming with information that's both accessible but also highly relevant to them and always having a really factual and evidence-based approach as well. So looking at the wider elements of health and how great sexual health can support other elements of health too. What do you see as being some of the major challenges for why sexual health hasn't been integrated into the school curriculum more broadly? I think we have to be careful about how we talk about this because it actually is in the school curriculum. It's in the national curriculum. It's in every state if they have state-based curriculums like in New South Wales. There's a New South Wales syllabus. The content is in there. What we have to be mindful of is that the way that it's delivered, schools have a lot of flexibility around how things are delivered. So we're very much advocating for making sure that there is enough guidance for schools and resources for schools to really do a great job on this. So we know that there are many schools who are doing a fantastic job and are providing really good programs and working with that holistic and community approach. So there's certainly really good examples of it happening. What we're also aware of is that, for example, we did a needs assessment with teachers a couple of years ago and one of the things that was really common was that teachers were saying they just don't have enough time to fit everything in or they might have areas where they're not feeling confident around delivering particular topics. So they might be feeling really confident about delivering information about STIs and contraception for example, that was a common theme. But some of those other themes that are a little bit more complex or sort of emerging things like talking about media depictions of sex, things like porn and, and sexting, that, those are areas where teachers didn't feel as confident. Talking about consent and relationships were as another area, sexual decision making where teachers didn't feel as confident 
delivering that. So for us, it's about making sure that teachers have those skills, have got resources to help them make those aspects of teaching easier. And that's going to make it more likely to that there's going to be consistency across schools and that they are going to have the time and resources to do a really good job in there with those more difficult and more challenging aspects of sexual health. And then, of course, with our advocacy, we're very much advocating that this is something that schools put energy into making sure that they are delivering and that they are devoting enough time to this so that students do feel like they're getting a really good grounding in these areas. Yeah, I completely agree, Cecilia. I think one of the biggest elements is the inconsistency we see CSE delivered both across Australia and then here in New South Wales as well, with some schools going above and beyond in delivering excellent education, while some students, we we found in our needs assessment that I think it was 47% of students reported either feeling dissatisfied or very dissatisfied with the education that they've received. So while the national curriculum does recognise some of the essential topics of CSE that we've discussed before, this really includes things like relationships and consent, it doesn't really cover the full scope of topics as well and this quality of education needs to be improved. So for example in the national curriculum there's very little or no information on reproduction, pregnancy, pregnancy options and contraception, sexual health and condom use and this is specific reference to it within the national curriculum as well as gender and sexual diversity and then the influence of technology and the media as well. So while some elements are really specifically integrated into the national curriculum, what we're looking for is a really robust national curriculum that covers the full scope of CSE topics so that teachers have greater guidance on how to effectively deliver this education to their students. And then exactly as Cecilia was talking about before, they then have the resources, the skills, the confidence, and importantly, the time and support from their school to deliver this education to their students. That's right. So we've been doing a lot of in our advocacy work around looking at specific language. So in the syllabus, it might say something around, you know, giving students skills for good decision making. But that decision making could be around anything from road safety to nutrition to drugs and alcohol and sexual health. So we'd be advocating to be specific in that curriculum that you should talk about that sexual decision making that that is an area that that needs to be covered rather than just one of many ways that they can talk about decision making. So that's just one example where we're talking about that curriculum becoming a lot more specific which is then likely to make sure that sexual health content is going to be covered. And covered at a greater consistency as well. Government campaigns haven't always been effective in modelling best practice in sexuality and consent information, with the controversial milkshake ad being pulled from television. Well, drink it. Drink it all. Though recently, a new New South Wales health campaign has been praised by sexual health experts for showing consent in real-world settings. Do you want to keep going? No, let's go back to the party. That's how you do it. Check consent every time. So things seem to be improving. A lot of this is due to the efforts of young people themselves. With advocacy from people like Chanel Contas and the Teachers' Consent Movement. The next challenge and the challenge that's always been very real is the implementation of this education. Because we can have anything in the curriculum, but ultimately it completely matters what every individual teacher tells their students. I asked Eliza and Cecilia what they think is ahead for us in sexual health education in schools. 
I think the one thing which we've seen in the past 12 months as well is that youth-led voice advocating for what they want in education and then responding to that as well. It's really important that we're chatting and talking with young people, engaging them in decisions that include and involve their education and that we're really responding to the needs, to the relevant topics and delivering what they want to hear and what skills they feel that they need to have really successful lives. I would agree with that and some of the... um the work that's been done, for example, in response to Chantal Contos's consent teach website consent. And, and the Teach Us Consent movement, I guess I could call it, is that talking to schools and the group that we've been part of working with Department of Education and Health, we have heard that Department of Education is really looking into this and looking at talking to teachers and talking to students and there is a bit of a disconnect. So sometimes teachers think that they're teaching it but the students are not feeling that they've had that information about consent or, or enough or had had sort of those deep enough conversations around it. So I think the voice of young people is really important and they have been included in part of this response. So they are working on developing resources and looking at what teachers are doing in the classroom so that young people can see it really clearly and experience that really clearly, that they are getting the information that they need around the topics that they're interested in, that is going to provide that really good grounding so that as they go further and as they get older and become adults that they've actually had those conversations, had opportunities to find out where to get good information. We know pretty consistently from the research that when there are gaps there, when young people feel like they haven't had information, they go to social media. They might find great stuff on social media or they might find some stuff that's not so great. So it's around really directing them to good, reliable, current sources of information and setting them up for life. So all of that work is is big and important, but we're definitely working on that. And I think it's definitely a work in progress, but I think the future looks good, I think. Mm. I think as well as directing young people to great sources of information, a really important part is also developing their skills to critique sources of information so that they can figure out for themselves what is reliable, what is credible, what is good versus what may not be as good to base your whole sexual health knowledge on. Thank you very much for joining me on the podcast today. Thanks, Tom. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Yeah, thank you for having us. It's an incredibly important issue and something that we're both and the organisation we're part of are really passionate about. That's right. And we're certainly very happy for people to contact us at Family Planning New South Wales if they're looking for further information or if they're looking for resources. We're very happy to to get on the phone or an email and have a chat with people or make some recommendations around things that we know are going to be helping people to get out there and do a really good job. You've been listening to the Sydney Sexual Health Centre podcast where we've been discussing sexual health education in schools. To stay up to date with the latest information in sexual health, you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter and LinkedIn. The links are in the description. If you like the podcast, please share and subscribe.